Welcome to the Excellent Exo Chat with Bill and Nora. Our podcast is meant to educate, inform, and discuss the ever-expanding topic of exotechnologies. If you are interested in exoskeletons, robots, or automated systems, you should listen to us. We will be discussing how these technologies impact you through chats with experts and users from around the world. Hey, Nora, how you doing? I'm great, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great. I hear we have a guest with us today. Who is with yeah, us? Yeah, I'm really excited. So our guest today is Sarah Bellini-Ross. She's with SAFE, and she's the Safety Advancement and Innovation Project Coordinator there. So hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you today, Nora? Good, good. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And Sarah, so SAFE is in Oregon, correct? Absolutely. Yes, we are Oregon's not-for-profit workers' compensation insurance fund. We've been around since 1914 taking care of injured workers and trying to prevent those injuries in the first place. Wow. We have a really large emphasis on prevention being a not-for-profit insurance agency. That's awesome. So I hear you've like been trying on and playing and getting others to play with exoskeletons for a while. Is that true? Yes. So our vision is to make Oregon the safest and healthiest place to work. And one of the ways that we're doing that is exploring new and emerging technologies alongside with the businesses that we insure. Wow. I've taken new and emerging technology like exoskeletons, virtual reality, um, out into the real world and put it in the hands of everyday employees and collected their feedback, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and share that information <laughs> with the manufacturers and the developers of that <laughs> technology yeah that's it that's very important it's, it's always good to share both the positive and the negative so people can make the appropriate changes because that's that's really a characteristic of emerging technology it is still evolving and it's still trying to get applied correctly to the different disciplines do you mainly deal with like i'll say industry like manufacturing or agriculture or construction which area do you work the most with you know, for the, the things like exoskeletons, what we did is we really try to look at our data and have that inform us of where's the biggest need. Mm. And so when musculoskeletal issues, we looked at our back injuries. And when we looked at where, what are the industries where people are really getting a lot of back injuries, construction mm -hmm. and agriculture rose to the top. So we, what we did in that situation is we took an exoskeleton that was designed for a warehouse or a logistics type company, and we wanted to see how it would work in a different environment. We wanted to see how it would work when it gets dirty, when workers have to wear it in hot environments, messy environments with PPE that's not really typically found in a warehouse. And so that's where we took that exoskeleton and deployed it in the industries where we saw a lot of our injuries. Wow. wow. So in order to be able to do that, Sarah, do you uh, do you try out the exos? Do you I mean, do you make sure that you know what you're what you're putting out there? Or how does that work for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. So today I've worn almost 20 exoskeletons. I can't wow. wait to break over. I've been keeping a list. I'm at 19. So wow. I'm so close. One more on there to make it a 20. Um, but yes, uh, before I deployed that pilot, I had worn that exoskeleton probably for a couple hundred of hours on my own personal farm. Wow. I was able to really gain a lot of firsthand experience and most importantly about the issues that workers would face and when learning to use that exoskeleton and some of the challenges with adoption. Mm. I understood how important fit was. So when I was on those job sites, I could really focus on making sure the fit was critical for the employees. I knew the challenges of what it's like to try to do your job when the exo doesn't quite work with you and how you can mitigate that. And 
that gave me that firsthand experience that really helped me to be able to relate to the workers on the job sites. Yeah, and I'm sure having your own farm and being able to really try them out and, and really do the work that you were talking to these individuals about really did help. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And so when I go on job sites, I think most people will think of me as an office worker. And then once they hear that I have a farm and that I've actually tried out these exoskeletons, I can literally see their perspective change. Changing. They, started to, they started to listen to me. because. And then when mm-hmm. I got out my exoskeleton and I showed them how dirty it was and how it was covered in wool and, <laughs> and some other, other fluids we won't necessarily talk about, it really made them realize, like, I do know what I'm experiencing. I have worn this device for hundreds of hours to date. And yeah. so I do really know what it, you're complaining about after wearing it for a few hours. Yeah. Um, I also, my husband's been a great guinea pig for me because with exoskeletons, you can only see so limited on you. And so he was the first person who I learned how to fit almost every exoskeleton on. And then I would make him do all sorts of job tasks so I could really look and analyze how it was working for him, how it was working for those job tasks. He's also a farmer, so um, he has a great mind when it comes to potential uses and ways that we can improve the products. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's what we need right now is, you know, people in specific applications looking at these technologies and telling the, the manufacturers, the researchers, the producers, here's the tweaks that need to be made in order for this to really help us out. Uh, because yeah. the exos have so much capability, but sometimes that capability is not focused toward the area where we need it, like agricultural worker or something like that. We did a similar event. I was working with uh, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and we did an event with uh, first responders, a big exercise. And so we showed them the exos and we told them, it's like, hey, these exos were not designed for a first responder application. They were designed for a warehouse but check out the capabilities, see where these might help you out. And, you know, very similar to probably what you found. It's like, you know, they were talking about, you know, they had pain areas with their backs and knees and shoulders and sometimes their hips. And they thought maybe this is this technology might really help them out in certain places, but it needs to be designed more for their job situation. Are you finding right. similar things in, in the people you're talking to? Absolutely. When you look at most of the back exos on the market, they almost all take away the functions of your pockets. Mm. And what's the one thing that we all carry in our pockets every single day? Our cell phone. phone. (laughs) And so that is just like one of those little things where it sounds really trivial. But when I've worn an exo around my farm all day, one exoskeleton has a pocket that you can put a cell phone in. The rest of them don't. And that's one of the really big challenges because literally where am I going to put my phone? Now, if I'm in construction, I'm using my phone for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where I'm looking at all my things. I'm doing all my checkoffs. I'm ordering supplies. I'm communicating with my team. So it's not an option to leave it behind. Where in the warehouse industry, it's very common that you're not allowed to have your phone on the floor. You have to leave it in your locker. And so that makes sense why they haven't had that issue right you start mixing in things like fall protection or tool bags or some of the other challenges and it gets a little bit complicated yeah talk about the environmental changes you look at construction or agriculture sites these are often spread out over very large sites without a central hub where workers may be dispersed often across a large site without a central place to keep their exoskeleton they're also in really hot environments and every exoskeleton on the market you're wearing additional stuff on your body it's going to create additional heat and that's one of the biggest issues we see with adoption is people really don't like to get hot 
Yeah, unfortunately. I totally agree with that. And, you know, you talked about something a little bit earlier that came up, which is, you know, especially if you're in an ag or construction situation, your exo is going to get dirty. And we've actually oh, have yeah. a, a, a task group that's working on how do you clean your exoskeleton, you know, from not just dirt, but anything that could get contaminated yeah, on the exo. Yeah, not just dirt, but like wet. You yeah. Know, yeah. Like you're thinking, yeah, to certain we, construction areas or, yeah. or agricultural areas. I mean, you're, you're definitely not just dirt is getting on those. Yeah. <laughs> no, we deployed exoskeletons in the drywall and the concrete. Oh my gosh. Construction. So two of the messiest industries yeah. possible. Um, and so that's one of the things that we were really curious about is how do the exos hold up to sometimes really caustic materials and really abrasive materials and just yeah. super messy materials. And one of the things we learned is workers are hesitant to use it because they yeah. don't want to damage the equipment. Right. Um, even if we gave them the permission, we told them it was okay. Also, one of the first questions they ask is, how much do these suckers cost? Right. right. Exactly. So, yeah. So they know they're wearing the super expensive piece of technology that's potentially going to help them. And so the last thing that they want to do is ruin it. And so then that's looking at what are the materials that we're using, the materials that add comfort also make it more challenging to clean for the most part. The more padding you add, the harder it is to clean. So these are some of the trade-offs that we have to do. And so that's where looking upstream is how can we integrate exoskeleton technology into other pieces of equipment or other clothing items that people are wearing right. to yeah. help alleviate some of those issues. That's I love that you bring up that that conversation of people asking, like, how much do these suckers cost? Because it, it immediately makes me think of my neighbor who has a very, very nice older vehicle um, car mm -hmm. that he, you know, very expensive. And that thing just sits out for show during the nice days. He drives it out the driveway, leaves it at the end of the driveway so it gets some sun. And then at the end of the day, he puts it back in the driveway. You know? <laughs> um, like, you don't want to have an EXO that people are investing in or they're buying for their company. But you know, they're saying, oh, don't don't wear them in these situations because they are really expensive or the parts are really difficult to come by. So right. be careful how you mm -hmm. use it. Um, you know, that's huge, especially like when you're talking about working in concrete or masonry or anything like that or mm -hmm. agriculture construction. You know, the immediate thing that I think of is with different exos is how does the dust or the particles affect the different parts of the exo? Right. Um, you know, like obviously different respirators, you have different grain sizes and particle sizes that can get through. Um, you know, same thing with an exo. Like, so I love that you are using them in really real world applications, you know, like really getting down and dirty and, and really seeing how these exos work. Cause I, I think really at the end of the day, that's what's going to make the difference between this works and this doesn't. Right. And yeah. we got the, again, got the same, almost the exact same feedback when we talked to the first responders, Sarah, it's like they were really interested in integrating the capabilities of an XO into their current mm -hmm. gear, whether it's their kit or their PPE. Uh, I know there's been a lot of testing done by certain companies with XOs and fall protection because they're interested in, in using that XO in conjunction with fall protection. So, you know, and we even talked about, can we integrate this into whether it's uh, for firefighters, their bunker gear, or for like a bomb squad, their bomb suit. And I'm, I assume there's similar things for the construction and agriculture industry. It's like, how do you integrate this in versus having one more thing to wear? 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Change is hard. And yeah. so the more that oh, we yeah. can integrate it and make the safe and easy choice, the default choice for workers, I think mm-hmm. we'll start to see adoption. But right now with a lot of the exos on the market, it's quite a process to get it on if you're wearing other PPE requirements. It's the simple it docking is. and docking process that manufacturers advertise isn't the same when you're we- uh, weaving it around a fall protection mm-hmm. harness or <laughs> around a tool bag. Yeah. <laughs> or even insulated coveralls. I mean, I wear my XO oh, yeah. for all four seasons. And so from shorts and a tank top to multiple layers and reindeer. <laughs> and your Carhartt, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not just my Carhartt. It's my insulated oh, yeah. with some you know ring gear over it and all the layers yeah and being able to still have the exoskeleton fit without having to completely change it when i change my outfits or take off a layer and then being able to have it be pulled up when it is pouring down rain and all of the different conditions right. i don't want to have to think about what type of equipment can i wear given the weather today right yeah and there's already and enough things you're thinking about i would never want a worker to have to make that consideration the only thing i want them to think about is does this exo make sense for this job task and then that should be the only consideration right yeah i mean i i'm you know you want them to be thinking like you don't want them to have to think about well do i want to wear this extra level of heat protection in you know zero degree weather freezing cold or do i want to wear my exo yeah um you know you really want them to be able to wear both and just not even have to think about it right it's just another layer that they're throwing on that's part of their equipment for the day or that's part of their attire for the day um and again coming back to fit like you know i know there's definite situations where you'll go onto a job site whether it's agricultural area or construction area or whatever it may be and they'll say that you know you can't have any loose fitting clothing Mm. um you know straps for exos things like that they really need to be um in check and and perfect like you can't be putting on someone else's exo like god forbid you shouldn't be doing that anyways or having like a string from the exo that's just hanging down um you know different things that you need to think about because i know for safety vests that's a big that's a big area that people will look at i mean you don't want to be wearing a safety vest that's very baggy and could be a snag situation that gets you caught Hmm. so really things that you need to think about for designing and manufacturing of exos and again just like you said sarah you know not every exo is made for every situation they're very specific and making sure that you understand how it should be used is really important before you start using them absolutely and that's where having a lot of options on the market's really helpful Mm -hmm. i have a library of 13 different exoskeletons and so it's really nice to have multiple options of back or shoulder exos because it really does matter the job application the individual worker the job at hand what are the other equipment they're using and so that's where it's exciting to see exos kind of evolve as an industry and have more options and have the iterations come out with more and more improvements to make that employee use even easier right so sarah let me ask you uh i'll say it's sort of technical question one of the things we've been trying to work on for the last several years in our uh, f48 committee on exoskeleton is what what are some good metrics for measuring exoskeletons that that can connect to the people that are going to really be using them not not research metrics but you know real world metrics like i'll throw you out something that i'd say would be a good metric i think but would be difficult to measure is the time to transparency so 
this this amount of time that it would take a person to basically forget they have an exo on that just works for them. Mm. Are there things like that that you've seen in your experience that might be a good metric that we could try to figure out how to measure? Yeah, we kept it really simple with our metrics around exoskeleton adoption. We asked three key questions. We wanted to know if the employee felt assisted by the exoskeleton. Is it helping them to do their job? Mm -hmm. We wanted to know if the exoskeleton fit into their daily work. It's great if it's helpful, but if it's so hard to use that it doesn't fit into your workflow, you're never going to use it. And then the third question we asked, which is really simple, is are you interested in continuing use of the exoskeleton? We really wanted to focus on those three key questions. We selected technology that was peer reviewed, that was validated in a research laboratory. So we knew the exoskeleton was effective. We knew it was going to deliver those anticipated results from a fatigue and uh, strain reduction. Mm -hmm. But what we didn't know is how are employees going to take to use it? So that's where we were most concerned is really focusing on those user adoption metrics. I think that cognitive demand is really a huge thing. We saw that time and time again in our study. And so I understand that thing, but yeah, it is a challenging thing to notice. I think this is where in production environments, you could start to look at some more objective metrics is when are they performing back at that baseline levels where they haven't kind of uh, had that um, decline in production because of the cognitive load of the exoskeleton. Right. It does take quite a while. Some of the exos are simpler to use than others. Um, and so I think you do want to give employees grace period with that, with the deployment mm-hmm. of that. And that's where the industries where exos make the most sense also are the industries with some of the heaviest production pressure. And so making sure you have a good culture in the implementation and trialing of exoskeletons is absolutely critical. That's awesome. Yeah, those those are some very good points. I mean, information overload is is a challenge wherever you go, especially when you're introducing whether it's emerging technology, a new tool, a new process, whatever it may be, and having a period for that adjustment and and maybe even some rules around how this is going to be used. Like, you know, we have a rule or laws now around you shouldn't be texting and driving at the same time okay. because you're getting into information overload, right? Uh, and so there may be some changes like that that have to come into the workplace when you're introducing new emerging technology. And I think giving people the time and space to play with it instead of, you know, yeah. the typical processes, we fit people and then it's go back to work. Right. One of the things that we did during our pilot that was a little bit not normal is we allowed employees to take the exoskeletons home if they want oh, cool. to. So we let them go home, chop wood with it, pull weeds with it, do whatever they wanted so they could have some of that unstructured time to play with it, to explore, to learn without em- their coworkers looking at them, watching yeah. them. And to be able to kind of use it for things that gave them more interest. And we saw a lot better adoption at home usage than we saw in the workplace. And so that was a really interesting finding as well. I absolutely love that idea. And it makes so much sense, right? Because if you're walking in for people to try on an EXO at work, there's that constant, I mean, at least for me, there's that constant anxiety of like, am I using this right? Who's watching Mm -hmm. me? Do I look silly? Do I look stupid? Like... Um, being able to have that time to just kind of relax and and use it and see what it does and how it works for me, I feel like that is something that is really key. So allowing them to go home and actually use them in their own space, their own comfort zone, 
not have to worry about being at work, having people look at them, um, constantly asking them, well, do you like it? Like you looked weird in it or, you know, you looked funny or you didn't walk. You know, it's just it's nice to be able to have that time that you can just kind of be yourself with it and really I think it's a more relaxing state as well. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a better way to see whether or not it's going to work for them. Yeah. I love it. I love it too, because, you know, I've heard a lot of pilots where, you know, especially in a manufacturing setting that haven't gone as well as they wanted to. And the, the adoption issue was the big thing. And yep. I don't think any of those pilots tried, uh, an unstructured time for people to really kind of just play with this and especially away from work. So Mm -hmm. that's a great idea. I think more people should think about that. I just know like when I put on my exoskeleton, when I have people watching me versus when I'm putting it on by myself and I'm not trying to get out to the field to go do something really fast, it's a little bit different process. I'm a little bit more methodical. I'm a little Mm -hmm. bit more careful And I see the same thing with workers when they're being watched by other people, when their superintendent is making a comment of how long is this going to take you to become the human forklift (laughs) that are making challenging for adoption, right? And we we're using exoskeletons because these are jobs that are really hard. And these are jobs that people have been using their bodies for oftentimes for hundreds of years. And so there's a tremendous amount of pride that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And so that's where addressing the change management side of things, addressing the people side of things when implementing exos is really critical. And that's an area I'd really like to see more time and space and effort put into because we have some great exoskeletons on the market today that have the potential to really prevent a lot of injuries. But what we don't have still is really great adoption of exoskeletons across industries because it's right. hard and it's, it's yeah. challenging to get people to change their behavior and to want to use this wearable technology that changes how their body moves and functions and doesn't always work with them. Yeah, And so and- that's where I'd love to better understand how can we support employees in using exoskeletons. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, you know, we've some of it is like having the right conversations and having a, a an open and honest conversation with the management of a lot of these mm-hmm. companies, because you know, yes, I I know that management wants to have their workers to have less injuries and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of times things are driven by this this uh, the word of say productivity, and right. so. I think having management understand that having safe workers that are less fatigued, that can do higher quality work, that aren't getting injured, that Mm -hmm. aren't coming to work the next day tired, really improves that whole productivity thing without going to, oh, you need to do more of this right now. And, And I think that conversation is part of this mix that we have to figure out how to talk about correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a mix of culture and then just really accurately assessing the operational readiness for adopting safety tech. Um, It is very challenging to adopt emerging technology. And oftentimes people are adopting it because there's a significant problem they're trying to solve. And so being able to accurately support people through that journey of identifying the right technology, piloting, testing it, and then once they find something that works, figuring out how to scale it and implement it across the scale. Oh, we yes. see a lot in exoskeletons. Is we see a ton of pilots. Yes. What right. we see a lot of is that conversion of pilots to long-term adoption. 
And we put a lot of emphasis, we put a lot of time and a lot of uh, personnel into these pilots. And then when it comes to long-term adoption, oftentimes those same resources drop off. And what I found is it really takes a lot of time to change workers' behavior and it takes a lot of on-the-ground support. The businesses I work with, they oftentimes don't have the teams to necessarily support that. When I Mm -hmm. deployed it at a nursery, they had three different sites, you know, hundreds of employees and one full-time safety person. Right. He couldn't dedicate the time that he needed to be an exoskeleton implementation specialist to support his workers in the ways that they really needed to be supported with the current way that exos are designed. Right. Yeah. So I look forward to seeing it become simpler to use, simpler to don and doff, um, but then also creating those supports in place for businesses who want to implement them and want to know what to do but don't have that magic book that's the other challenge with new and emerging technology if i wanted to implement fall protection i can download a million guides right exactly (laughs) there's so many technical resources out there you start looking at how do you deploy exoskeletons what's the secret sauce to make exoskeletons work in a specific industry that's there it's not out there there's right. so little information out there there's a couple of case studies here and there but there's not we s- still just don't have the massive volumes to know everything that we need to know about implementation and adoption yeah and sometimes this you know a lot of times uh exos get aligned with with either safety or ergonomics and that might not you know especially for certain business areas that might not be the the appropriate area to go in through uh, and like you say, scaling it, you start bringing in other considerations like uh, how many can we buy of this? Can they make that many? Can they provide technical support and training for this? What kind of logistics do we need to buy? All of those things come up, you know, moving from that pilot or, you know, small scale trial to these huge scale up jobs. And then, like you say, for smaller or medium sized business, how do you integrate that and how do you do that? transition for not only just the technology into the place but also the people transition that change management type stuff that's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff to take on at one time and and we're hoping there'll be more uh, places that are sort of what i would call integrators that will help the smaller and medium size and even large companies kind of figure out how to do this because we need better guidance on how to get Exos and other emerging technologies adopted and moved into the the, the mass scale type situation. Cool. This was great conversation, guys. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I think the last thing that I would just like to say about, you know, this conversation and thank you, Sarah, for joining us is that I think Sarah also does a great job, you know, listening to you, Bill and Sarah going back and forth is you know, listening to how focused exoskeletons are for helping people. Right. Uh, that's one thing that I absolutely love about exos. I mean, yeah, there's there's areas that we still need to learn more and there's more adoption that needs to occur and the use of the exos and there's a lot of learning. But one thing that I really enjoy about being part of the community of exos and people working with exos is that the focus is helping people. And I just, I absolutely love that. Um, you know, and I think that exos really are geared towards a positive area where we are looking to help people, whether it's do their job more efficiently and effectively, making them able to do 
things that they love to do around the house, like gardening, work on their cars, exactly. um, paint, you know, paint their house. <laughs> you know, these are all things that I, I think that sometimes it's good for us to step back and realize that even though this is a technology that is out there and we're still learning more, that the main focus is people. And, you know, I just think that in this day and age, that really is key. And Sarah working on the farm, I mean, I know she had mentioned that her husband uh, pretty much runs the farm. I mean, just being able to have an exo that helps her husband being able to walk after his long day or yeah. or travel once he, you know, at some point retires if that happens, <laughs> you know. It's just, I just, you know, I just wanted to highlight that because, you know, we do get into the technical. We talk about exos and, and the different things that are out there and, and gaps that we're missing. But at the end of the day, I just absolutely love that it comes back to helping people. You're right. That's absolutely, so Nora. I, that's so much from my why. When I was 18, my first job was in a warehouse. Mm -hmm. 30 years later, my mom retired from that same warehouse with a career-ending injury that could have been prevented by yeah. an exoskeleton. Yeah. So that's what gives us that why is, right? How can we send people home in better shape than what they started with us? How can we give people that quality of life that we're all working for instead of taking away yeah, I, yeah. I totally concur. It's all about a higher quality of life. And we have the technology to do that now. It's just figuring out how to put it in the right place with the right folks and give them the tools to make this work. Absolutely. And we're thankful for your center of excellence. That's here to help us figure out how long we're going with this. Uh, we're, well, we're thankful for everything that SAFE is doing. And Sarah, absolutely. I know you're, you're traveling and you're educating, um, you know, workers and individuals. And, and we can't thank you enough for your dedication as well and, and joining our podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you so thank much. You. Great. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. You as well. Thank you for listening to us today. Please share this podcast with your friends and join us next time.